You're listening to Oh No Lit Class. Mostly dead authors, fresh takes. Ruining required reading, one book at a time. Welcome to Ono Lit Class, the podcast that every English teacher who sits in their chair backwards and calls Shakespeare the rock star of his time wishes they were. I'm Megan. I'm RJ. And anyway, we all know that Shakespeare was the Michael Bay of his time. But we're going way further back than big ol' Willie Shakespeare on this episode, which is a Patreon-voted episode, and in my infinite lack of imagination, I did not realize how horny for the Greeks our patrons are. Oh, Beowulf. Wait, what? Beowulf, that's before Shakespeare. Yeah, but we're going, we did Beowulf, we're going, we're going back, wait, is Beowulf back further than the, um, don't look at me, stop, don't look at me, don't look at me, we're going back further than Beowulf. You sure? By how much do you think, if we are? Shut up! Further! No, no, it's, it's no, get, get no. down to brass tacks. When do you think uh, what we are discussing today was written, roughly? Well, I know what it was written. It was uh, written around the 8th century BC. When do you think Beowulf roughly was supposedly written? Not a clue. Take a stab. What's your best guess? I don't know. I mean, we, we did the episode. I know we did. I don't remember. Best guess. Old timey. Give a year. Well, because it's you it's, just gave a year. It's the, for, it's for, the old oldest of English. Like it's an AD. It's not a BC. Around one thousand AD. Oof. Okay. So we're going back before Beowulf. Yeah, not older even close. Than, older than Beowulf. Like two thousand years older than Beowulf. Yeah. Our patrons have made their voices heard, and now we got to do a two-part episode on Homer's Iliad and the Odyssey. A task of dare I say it, mythic proportions ah is it i don't know how big is it because it's a it's a myth they're myths is everything not a myth no some things are true i don't know about that this one's on the the iliad greek myths and plays and oral histories or what have you have been a staple of classroom reading since basically as long as the classroom itself has existed Hundreds and thousands, potentially, of years before you were born. Kids were also suffering through stories of gods creating prophecies, starting wars, and generally fucking with mortals out of boredom and or misplaced horniness. And in fact, together the Iliad and its loose sequel of sorts, the Odyssey, make up one of the oldest extant works of Western literature. Uh, the Iliad, in particular of the two, as we, and by we I mean basically RJ, will discuss walks the line between myth and history in that even though it is a myth, it was treated for a very long time as a history, and even longer after that as at least history adjacent, i.e. that there was like a Trojan War, or at least an analog for it, and that like the folks who participated in it, even if they weren't, you know, like born from a god's elbow or whatever the shit, may have existed, which is something we discussed a bit in our episode on Orpheus and Eurydice, where we talked about like Orpheus the actual dude and uh we'll see if that's applicable here you're just nodding they can't see you be like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yes mm-hmm. yes 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 
So uh, the text is generally attributed to Homer, at least when it's taught in high school. I'm sure it's far more complicated than that. Not that I really bothered to look, because that's RJ's job, and I was up to my ass in vengeful gods and raging wars and horny Greeks. I mean, it wasn't just the Greeks. Everyone was horny, but that's just how it was back then. Something was in the water. I don't know. RJ, get any idea why people were so horny back then? People are so horny today. We ain't that different. They, they As we'll discuss. They, they seemed hornier. I don't know. Like, Less inhibitions. Maybe. All right. Well, then, did you have to read the Iliad? I mean, I guess we're going to be talking about both the Iliad and the Odyssey. For the purposes of this episode, we'll just focus mainly, did you have to read the Iliad? No. I'm pretty sure the Odyssey was the one that we went with. I also remember Antigone, but that's neither here nor there. Same, though. Yeah, I mean, we skipped over the Iliad. We only read the Odyssey. We also did read Oedipus and Antigone, which is kind of the sequel to Oedipus. I think maybe because English teachers were also just like, ugh, like, no thank you. I'd rather not. Instead, I think I had to read the Odyssey, like, twice, in fact. The Odyssey is easy. It's literally just a dude who flipped off Poseidon, traveling the high seas, banging whatever comes into his line of vision as more and more of his crew die until he makes it back home, kills some more dudes, bangs his wife. Like, the end. Pretty straightforward. And I'm like, well, we can't just do the sequel to the Iliad. We gotta do the Iliad. But I had no idea what I was getting into. There's a whole war. I probably should have anticipated that, but my knowledge of the Iliad is predicated on the big wooden horsey and Tumblr liking that one book about how Achilles and Patroclus are sad gay lovers. You want to know something? The big wooden horsey's not in the, the Iliad. Whoa. <laughs> There's no big wooden horsey in this fucking play. I'm just going to get that out of the way. Wow. So, neither of us were familiar with the Iliad. The Odyssey barely even relates to the Iliad as a sequel, which is something we're going to look at in a bit on how... After the fact, people tried to tie the Odyssey more to make it a stronger sequel in relation to the Iliad, but whatever. So before we get to that, why don't you, RJ, tell us about Homer, not Simpson. Yes, today we get to talk about the guy who inspired America's favorite yellow child-abusing dad that works as a nuclear engineer. No. Homer. Or, as he was known in Greek, Homeros. That sounds kind of cooler, actually. Homeros? Yeah. Homeros. Yeah, well, I ain't doing that. Okay, that's fine. You know how many names I looked at when I was doing my thing? You went, mm-mm. Yeah, this, I guess, is a moment where, I mean, if we wanted to be, you know, Greek, we could call them Homeros. Like, we call it a gyro, not a gyro. Monsters. It's true. Much like big bully Shakespeare, there are Homer truthers out there. These Homer <laughs> truthers have given rise to what is known as the Homeric questions which include who is homer are the iliad and the odyssey of multiple or single authorship by whom when where and under what circumstances were the poems composed how reliable is the tradition embodied in the homeric poems how old are the oldest elements in homeric poetry which can be dated with certainty i feel like that's a lot fucking trickier than Shakespeare truthing, considering with this guy we're talking like almost a thousand years before Jesus. Yeah, and there's not a lot of documentation about Shakespeare that lives on 600 years later. What are the odds we got stuff from Homer's days? Yeah. Not much. And as we'll talk about, it's hard to tell what was true, what was made up, what was embellished. Much like today, but we'll get there. (laughs) And the final Homeric question is, does Lisa really need braces 
Do you know, that might be a joke that's older at this point than some of our listeners. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. While the Iliad and the Odyssey are the two big works attached to Homer, there are other more minor works attributed to the name, the Homeric Hymns. The Contest of Homer and Hesoid. Hesiod. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, just like the way you looked after you said that, like, nope. The Contest. Hesiod? Hesiod? The Little Iliad? The Little Iliad? Was it, is it like the Iliad, but like everybody's like eight years old? Uh, probably the abridged version. Yeah. The Nose Toy? The The Bade? The Cypria? The Epigoni? The Frog Mouse War? What? Yeah, the Frog Mouse War. I like that one. Mixes in with all the other names. Yeah, I know. <laughs> the Margites? The Capture of Ochalia? And the Fosses? But... Is it all just one big Homer-sized ruse? Come again? Well, first, let us answer, who is Homer? <laughs> who is he? So, much like Big Willie, who was alive a mere 400 years ago and barely has a hint of childhood remain intact. 400 today. years ago? What year are we living in? Was he not the 1600s? Wait, was he the 1600s? 16- Wait, I thought it was the 1400s. No, the 1400s is when... Columbus sailed the ocean blue. Oh, fuck, it is. Wow. I'm having a bad day. Right? Well, like the 15, 1600s, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So okay. it was like 400 years ago. 450. Um, and barely a hint of his childhood remains intact today. Is it shocking that little of anything exists about Homer, who supposedly lived during the 8th and 7th centuries BC, a.k.a. before Cristiano Ronaldo, I think. Yeah, that's definitely what that's referring to. Yeah, CR7 for life. Remember, sports still don't exist. I mean, we're still living in a post-sports society. Sports definitely existed in ancient Greece. I don't know if they were big CR7 fans or not. I mean, I don't know if they were too big on soccer at that point. And plus, I'm pretty sure... they did, they did it in the nude. (laughs) And I'm pretty sure you can convince a lot of people that BC stands for before Cristiano. Well, then it really wasn't all that long ago. (laughs) People should be able to figure out who Homer was. Like, Cristiano ain't that old. Some facts, and I use the word loosely... That are often repeated about Homer are that he was born in Chios, Greece, that he was a blind, wandering bard, and that he died in Ios. Or, after failing to solve a puzzle put together by fishermen. A real 50-50 proposition, if you ask me. Wait, he that he died because he couldn't solve a fisherman's puzzle? Yeah. Like, was was it that these fishermen, like, accosted him and were like, solve my puzzle, Bob, well, so, or die? So, Megan, do you want to take a stab at the riddle <laughs> that may have killed Homer? <laughs> Will I die if I don't get it? Only if you drive yourself crazy trying to answer it. All right, go for it. So the fisherman said, quote, What we caught, we threw away. What we didn't catch, we kept. What is it? What we caught, we threw Threw away. away. What we didn't catch, we kept. The cold. Close, I guess. Time? Lice. (laughs) Hey! (laughs) (laughs) Right? Because if they caught it, yeah. they cut it off, they got rid of them. Yeah. The ones they didn't catch, they, they kept. kept. Wait, Homer couldn't figure that out? So... And then he died? I kind of hope that Homer drove himself crazy trying to solve this stupid fucking riddle. It's so poetic. And it would be just such a good metaphor for the struggle of life we all face that it's meaningless and stupid. And even Homer, one of the greatest minds of all times, can die trying to solve a grade school riddle that is rooted in bad hygiene. What does it all mean? Nothing. We're just hurtling towards an endless oblivion while riddled with 
and by Weiss. Chipper. Yeah. But yeah, this potentially drove him crazy to his own death. Or he just kind of died as an old man in Ios. Your pick. <laughs> or they just told him a riddle. He couldn't figure it out. He died the next day for unrelated reasons. Because who knows? It was the ancient times. He could have died for any fucking reason. And the fishermen were like, Oh my god, we killed Homer with our fucking lice riddle. Oh shit. I guess this goes without saying, but most historians say any of these purported facts are barely worth the ink used to put them on a page. And there are no ways to verify any of these facts. But you have to listen to them in this podcast. And trust me, there are a lot of historians who have weighed in on this topic. Homer has been the subject of studies for a long, long time. Homer is said to have lived somewhere in the range of 850 BC to 700 BC. There are 10 extant lives of Homer. Here's a good word to know. Extant. I used it earlier. It means the opposite of extinct. So 10 existing lives or biographies of Homer are known to exist, but even these are generally suspected to be forgeries or made up. Most of these writings pull extensively from the works attributed to Homer, and so if you think Homer was writing about himself in his own works, well maybe you think that there might be a lot that we know about the man. Life of Homer which is no life of Brian, I'll tell you what, is one of these ancient biographies Again, about Homer. A, jo- a joke that's not only older than our listeners, but I think older than either of us. It is written by who has become known as Pseudo-Herodotus. <laughs> so not even Herodotus, Pseudo-Herodotus. The opening lines of the biography claim that the biography was compiled by the ancient historian Herodotus, who lived during the 5th century BC, who wrote about cool things like Xerxes, the Battle of Thermopylae, you know, Xerxes and Leonidas, and the Battle of Salamis, which sadly is not about people (laughs) using rods of pure meat to beat each other, rather a boring old naval battle. So why would historians doubt a biography that self-purports to be written by a known historian? Well, historians say it doesn't really fit with his style, and no one has really ever believed uh, Herodotus wrote it. Someone just slapped his name on it. Thus, pseudo Herodotus. Her- Her- Herodotus. Pseudo Herodotus. I am the historian who only tells lies. And even if the actual guy wrote it, well, he was kind of suspected of making up stories or just writing down whatever people told him. He apparently even said that he doesn't even believe some of the things that he's reported. I'm regular Herodotus. I also only tell lies. Don't take my word for it. Literally. <laughs> The facts that the biography report are that Homer was not always blind, but maybe always hard of seeing and became blind. He was never able to stick in one place for too long, and so he kept on moving, trying to find stability and a livelihood, and he was just lucky to always wind up where the action was and he wrote about it. Thus, he was kind of like a blind, writerly version of Forrest Gump. Dude, you're really just slamming it with the topical references this episode. In fact, I love thinking about Forrest Gump through the lens of a Forrest as a Homer-like figure. Amazing. Especially when he had that monkey. Oh. What? You didn't know about that. Oh, God. Sad for you. Read a book once in a while. He has a monkey. Wow, why do you hate Forrest so much? And plus, the movie makes so much more sense, and it's so much better if you like imagine him like as this Homer character, who just kind of like wanders, just always there, and then he like writes it all down. You no, know, it doesn't make any more sense. I gotta, if you I gotta call up is Homer. <laughs> I gotta call up Robert Zemeckis. I think maybe he was onto something. He he just the day he didn't write the book. Well, he made the movie. And that's who I care about. I don't even know who wrote the books, and I read the books. Yeah, but you care about the fucking monkey, which is only in the book. 
Yeah, monkey's good. This monkey's in a tank. I hate this. This he gets this is definitely not. The he first gets to Lieutenant Dan out of retirement to go fight in the Gulf War this with is, the monkey in a tank. This is not the first time. I know this isn't the first time we've talked about this on this fucking show. So why all this loosey goosey stuff? Well, during Homer's time and well after it, generally things were not written down. After all, most people couldn't read or write worth a damn anyway. And sure, while papyrus... Papyrus? Papyrus? You can thank the... Who can we thank that one for? Well, no, you thank the Egyptians for papyrus, but you thank Phoenicians for the the alphabet. alphabet. Thank you, Epcot. (laughs) And sure, while papyrus was in the world, it wasn't like you could just walk down to your local stationery store and pick some up. Many things were written on stone or other mediums not exactly suited for carrying around place to place. And so entertainers, lecturers, poets, singers, and performers in general brought the stories around in their mind and in their hearts. You repeated what you heard. You maybe embellished a bit, or maybe you changed the name of a villain or a hero of a tale into someone the locals might know. You had to carry a lot of shit around in your noggin. Look, we know the Greeks did it. Hell, we still do it. Think about remakes. All artists do is just make the stories relevant for their contemporary audiences, which makes sense, right? A 20th century Hollywood didn't invent this idea. The oral tradition is not unique to Greece either. Many cultures that had no contact with each other had similar practices and traditions. Then again, perhaps I should say cultures that we do not think had contact with each other. But you know, aliens. Wait, no. And look, probably the best known versions of the oral tradition to most of us are in religion. The oldest extant version of the Christian Bible was not written until about a cool 400 years after Jesus died. The stories haven't been passed down through a game of telephone until that point, according to some modern scholars, and the Jewish Torah makes references to similar oral traditions. Look, if you remember back to playing telephone in grade school, imagine how these complex stories changed over time and distance between languages and so on. Yeah, we couldn't even make a sentence fully across the room, so probably not great. And let's not even bring politics into this, but uh, if you based your knowledge of the world on nothing but the oral histories presented by most major news channels in the year of our COVID, you would have an interesting tale to weave, depending on which oral history you were exposed to. We're just gonna let that one sit there. Let that one marinate a bit. I gotta say, though, I'm very proud of you that you've managed to say oral history this many times and you did not make a cunnilingus joke. No, cunnilingus is no joke. It's serious business. It's an oral tradition, some might say. It is a very serious tradition. You don't mess around with cunnilingus. Speaking of the Iliad, as Megan will discuss, covers the end of the war presented by Trojan. Need to get in a horse? But, you know, don't really want to get in a horse. Trojan got your back. I mean, honestly, if you take a step back, it seems weird to name your condom brand after a people that were bamboozled by a prank. Hey, baby, thought you were going to get my sperm in you? Ha, wrong. You got trojan I mean, I guess. The, the Trojans were warriors, I guess. Your, your dick's a warrior. Let's put some armor on it so you don't get an STD. I'm doing my best here. I don't know. So when I was in high school, one of our rival schools, their mascot was the Trojans. And they actually had on their t-shirts, I always appreciated it, Trojans, they go and dry, they come out wet. Ew! Also, they go and dry, ow! (laughs) No! Lube up! 
Jesus! <laughs> <laughs> no one wants you to go in dry. Oh, you go. You do the cunnilingus first. Yeah, you, know, you get things ready. Well, yeah, you don't want to go in dry. So, the Trojan War. Greeks versus Troy, modern-day Gre Turkey. Greece went in dry. It didn't work out great. King Agamemnon, Achilles and co. all decide Troy must go down because of Helen of Troy. We'll get there. I, I, I got, yeah. yeah. We'll, the we'll the, the face that looks like a thousand ships or something. Some just call her Bodie McBoatface. <laughs> no, that's not your... She's the face that launched a thousand Bodie McBoat faces. Oh, I thought it was the face that looks like a thousand ships. <laughs> oh, it's not the face that looks like a thousand <laughs> ships. Jesus Christ. It's unclear if the war ever happened. It's unclear if Agamemnon ever existed. And as for Achilles, aside from being a spitting image for Tyler Durden and all of us having a little piece of him in our bodies, he didn't fucking exist either. I mean, unless people can be the sons of sea nymphs, maybe? Maybe? So let's unpack some things. Historians have found what they believe was the site of some war, maybe even a 10-year war, in Troy. And hey, just because the big-named people didn't really exist, that never hurt anybody. England named a warship after Agamemnon. Ag do, you Ag want, do you want to give that one another go? Agamemnon. Yeah. And Achilles, we had to name that flap at the back of our feet something, so why not? People love making shit up, though. People also love celebrating made-up shit in weird ways. Yep. So Achilles, not a real guy, did have an in-character death. In fact, the supposed spot in which he died in-character is marked in real life by a pillar. A pillar which Alexander the Great visited. While there, he literally poured one out for his brother from another mother. Achilles. Oh, he did more than pour uh, one out. <laughs> although it was less alcoholic and more oil, Alex and his companions then ran a race in the nude as was the style at the time, around the grave before laying a wreath down. Yep. Yep. I don't know what Alexander the Great thought was real or wasn't, but hell, I don't think that shit's all that crazy. Which brings us uh, to... Oh? Vacationing with RJ. Fictional <laughs> destinations. Brought to you by the Wayland yutani Corporation. Got somewhere <laughs> to be? The Wayland yutani Corporation will get you there with some new friends. That's a deep joke there for you. Fictional vacations, that's, that's good since no one can take, like, a real vacation right now. Oh no, these are real destinations, just with a uh, fictional twist to it. Oh, no one can take real vacations right now. Take, well, a, take a mind vacation. Once you're able to take vacations, the first place you may want to go is Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Home of the Liberty Bell, many famous landmarks, and a statue dedicated to Rocky Balboa. That's right, at the top of the famous Rocky Stairs is the statue dedicated to Rocky. Some would call him the Achilles of our time. Truth be told, though, no one should ever go to Philadelphia. For anything, anyway. So you, Whoa! <laughs> so you probably shouldn't visit that. Instead, how about you go to Metropolis, Illinois? How many places are we going? We have to, we've already alienated everyone in Kansas and Iowa. And Chicago. I think we shit on Chicago. Chicago. Well, we're in Metropolis, Illinois. I mean, you know, you're just a stone's throw away from Chicago. <laughs> and while you're in Metropolis, you can meet the man whose mom was Martha. No, <laughs> not that one. The other one. Or was it that one? It's the Man of Steel, Superman. That dude isn't even human, but hell, you can go see him in person. Noted celebrity Barack Obama was seen at the site paying his respects. I really, I don't know why, but I thought you were going to say noted celebrity Barack Obama likes to dress up as Superman or something. I didn't know where that sentence was going to go. It was very exciting. 
Now, if a boxer and a superhero are a little too lowbrow for you, how about we kind of combine the two together and you go to Baker Street in England and see a statue of Sherlock Holmes? Oh, people get horny for, like, doing weird pseudo-realistic Sherlock Holmes LARPing. While you're there, you can even get yourself your very own pipe and deerstalker, just like the real fake Sherlock. Are animals more your style? How about seeing Godzilla while in Japan? Or, if you're still in London, seeing your homesy, pop on over to Paddington Station to see the world-famous Paddington Bear. Can I see Godzilla and Paddington together? <gasps> Can we make a Godzilla and Paddington movie? You'd go see it. Don't oh, lie. Yeah. You'd go see the shit I, that out would of that. Or, how about visiting a villain from a long time ago from a galaxy far, far away? Wait, what? But now has a home in Odessa, Ukraine. What? That's right. What? Good old Anakin Skywalker. Now, to be fair, this statue was originally of Lenin. <laughs> I'm going to need a minute. But after the Cold War, instead of tearing down the statue of Lenin, they just turned it into Lord Vader. Holy shit. Recent improvements have installed Wi-Fi hotspots in his head, so you can gram out your selfies in front of the Dark Lord himself. So this is in Odessa? This is in Odessa. Fuck yeah, Odessa. I saved the best for last, of course. Of course. And, of course, it's based in the good old U.S. of A. The uh, future birthplace of James T. Kirk. No. Ah, you left off a good one. This one's better. You could see the place where Captain Kirk will eventually be born. No, th <laughs> what I left here, if I want to go see any of these, I want to go pour one out for my homies, this is the place. Okay. This is the headline from the Associate Press from earlier this year. Okay. Crowdfunded RoboCop statue oh. nears completion in Detroit, Michigan. Jesus. Yes. Soon you'll be able to visit an 11 foot tall statue of Alex Murphy, RoboCop himself. I will never forget when RoboCop got wings in RoboCop 3. It was real to me, damn it. I'll never forget when RoboCop shot that guy's dick off. <laughs> many dicks. So many dicks. Our RoboCop. He shot them all. So there you have it, folks. All the great sights to see once it's safe to travel. Book those tickets on Trans-American Airlines now, and you might be lucky enough to not only see these real fictional sights, but you might also get to see a grown man naked. Surely, that'd be a swell treat, all right? <laughs> That's definitely what RJ's gonna do. He's gonna go to the RoboCop statue, slather himself up in oil, run a race around it, and then lay down a ceremonial wreath. <laughs> Probably like, I don't know, like an incense stick. From a boy, Alex Murphy, man. <laughs> so, I mean, there you go. You might think Homer or Alexander the Great or all these cultures that celebrate fictional characters are weird. But hey, we still do it today because, hell, it's fun. And in a world where people speak Klingon, maybe the fictional world or the real world influenced by fiction is just a little more fun for everyone. Or perhaps we are entering into or have always existed in some weird postmodern society where nothing is real. Or while everything is also real at the same time. But that's an episode for another time. Whenever Megan relents and we do a philosophy episode. Including our boy Michelle the Del Foucault. But for now. I don't want this. But for now. Megan. The Iliad. Hey everybody, it's your master mythologizer, Megan. Just popping in real quick to tell you the same thing that I pretty much always tell you, but that makes it no less important, and that's that this episode is brought to you in part by our wonderful, beautiful, amazing, Homeric? 
yeah, sure, why not? Patrons, we love you. We cherish you. We're doing this episode for you. And uh, if you want to pledge to our Patreon at patreon.com slash class, you too can vote for us to do things like this, as well as get cool stuff like t-shirts, posters, stickers, all kinds of... That's a saw. That's definitely a saw. There's construction happening. I know times are tough for a lot of people, and, you know, obviously you gotta take care of yourself and put yourself first. I mean, that's always, now more than ever, but always. But we're still in kind of a shitty financial situation, and so any bit that you, if you have to donate and you can, it helps a lot, and we super appreciate it, and it's amazing. And you're amazing. You. You, you specifically. Hi. You're amazing. This episode's pod pal is Laura of the podcast Patchwork Fairy Tales, and I have very quickly fallen in love with it because it's great. She creates fairy tales that are kind of maybe a little bit familiar, but with twists of, you know, inclusivity and telling stories about pansexual princesses and sexy sapphic dragons, which I mean, yeah, awesome, A+. And also she just has like a really nice voice. She has a, a beautiful voice that is good to listen to. Like I have like a list of podcasts that I just listen to because I just really like listening to their voice where I just sit there and just kind of get lost in it because it's like, they talk good. I like listening. And Laura has quickly become one of those people where it's like, I could just listen to you say words. But also the words she says are very good. And I strongly encourage you to check it out. Hi, I always guard my name well, but you can call me Laura. Do you want found families, pansexual princesses, single fathers, sword-wielding ladies, asexual mermaids and non-binary heroes? Then you've come to the right place. Patchwork Fairy Tales is a podcast full of inclusive, original fairy tales, written and recorded to spread old magic in a new way. Find them on patchworkfairytales.wordpress.com or in whatever podcatcher you fancy. There's a new fairy tale every other Wednesday. But until then, remember to guard your name, bow to birds in flocks of three, and be safe. The Iliad opens with our narrator, orator, poet, person, praying to the muse of poetic inspiration to help them tell the story of how Achilles, the great hero of the Trojan War, was just so unbelievably, wildly pissed off that it kept consistently fucking over the Achaeans. Now, if you are like me, you probably stopped and went, who the fuck are the Achaeans? The people from Achae. No. And also how you pronounce that, because it's a lot of vowels in a row, because it's spelled A-C-H-A-E-A-N-S. And so- Achaeans. Yeah, that's what I thought. I'm like, the Achaeans? No. When you see a C-H, it's a K. I learned that very quickly. I had to look up so many fucking names, and I'm still going to get so many names wrong. Yeah, and I googled it. It means the Greeks, like, collectively, but pretty much only in the context of the Iliad and the Odyssey, and also maybe only some of Greece, because there's also, like, the, the Danaeans, the Danaeans, and the Argives, and the Hellenes, and the Pan-Hellenes, but the, the Achaeans don't, are used the most, and look, I'm not a goddamn etymology expert. Like, there's a Wikipedia page. Go read it. We're literally one sentence in. Like, oh my fucking god. I just call them the Greeks the whole time. If that upsets you... I'm sorry. I don't care. The Greeks. The Greeks. 
Anyway, Achilles, his wrath, his rage, etc. We start with an example of it, in media res, as they say, just jumping right in instead of having to get loaded down with backstory. Because while the Iliad, in theory, is about the Trojan War, and definitely, you know, talks about it a whole lot, it actually only covers about 45 days over the final year of what has been a 10-year siege of the city of Troy. Why have the Greeks been laying siege to Troy for a hot decade, you may ask? Why, Megan? It's complicated. Like everything else in this fucking story. I'm gonna try and run through this quick, because, see, Homer could just jump into shit in media res because his audience would have come preloaded with knowledge of culturally relevant myths that predate this story, but not all of us are so lucky. Okay, so there's this girl, or young woman, I don't know, who knows how old she really is. Her name is Helen, and the important thing to know about her is that she is super hot. Yeah. Just a, just a total smoke show. She's not just hot, she's dangerously hot. The kind of sexy that draws unwanted attention from both mortals and gods alike, which is bad. Basically, she gets abducted by Theseus, who wants to marry her. And then it somehow turns into this whole competition between old dudes on who gets to smash Helen. And um, she's still very young when this happens. How Don't I- let that stop you. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's grass on the field. No, no, ew, gross, no. Put grass on your fucking field. Um, I got some. You got grass everywhere. There's no part of you without grass. Wow. I'm saying. Oh, play ball. <laughs> How young is she? I don't know. But if they're bothering to mention it in the myth, then you could assume it's probably young enough for it to be really gross. Anyway, the guy who wins the kidnap and marry Helen fight is Menelaus, king of Sparta. You gotta say it right. Sorry. King of Sparta. That's right. <laughs> Uh, as part of winning this competition thingy, all the losers had to agree that if anyone else came and stole Helen away from Menelaus, they all had to pledge their military assistance to the cause of getting her back. At the time of the agreement, they probably weren't thinking this would lead to a decade-long war, but there you go. So what happened to Helen? Well, those, what you talking about? Those are real bros. Like if someone steals <laughs> your chick, man, I'm gonna fight for you. Yeah. Well, th- that was the agreement that they were like, no, okay, whoever gets her... If someone else takes her, we're all gonna go and fight for, like, I guess that was just how they did things then. I don't know. You get that puss. You get that puss, bro. So if you want to know what happened to Helen, there's this other Greek myth called the Judgment of Paris. In it, Zeus throws a party celebrating the marriage of, <laughs> of Peleus and Thetis, who are incidentally Achilles' parents. Whoa. Yeah, Thetis is a, is a sea nymph. That's uh, what I goddess. said. Yeah, like, yeah, you did. And Peleus was just a dude. But he doesn't... It's so like Aquaman. Yes, exactly like Aquaman. You know, I recently learned what Aquaman's mom's name is. Aquamartha. They update in the new Justice League movie. <laughs> oh, that's the Zack Snyder cut. <laughs> Hang on, I gotta just check with my mom, Aqua Martha. You wanna join the Justice League? What's your mom's name? <laughs> Aqua Martha. Good. Close enough. You're in. <laughs> <laughs> what about what about like uh, Wonder Woman? I guess she's got like a, a whole island full of moms. One of them had to have been named Martha. At least one. <laughs> So Zeus is throwing this party celebrating this marriage 
between these two people. Um, but he doesn't invite Eris, the goddess of discord, for what would seem to be fairly obvious reasons. Like, I imagine the literal embodiment of bitchy drama probably doesn't get a ton of party invitations. But nonetheless, this pisses her off, so she retaliates by showing up anyway, and hurling a magic golden apple at the table that is meant to go to, quote, the fairest one. This has the immediate desired effect of the goddesses Hera, Athena, and Aphrodite leaping for the apple like a trio of feral hogs. They demand Zeus decide which of them is the fairest, and Zeus is like, this is kind of my fault, I guess, but also fuck no. No. Here, let this kid, Paris, Prince of Troy, do it. And so Paris, Prince of Troy, gets to be the judge of a Greek goddess beauty pageant, with the added bonus of full frontal nudity and wanton bribery. Hera offers to make Paris king of Europe and Asia. Athena offers her skill and wisdom in matters of war. But Aphrodite knows what men want, and offers Paris the hottest woman in the world. And uh, Paris is like, oh, well, that, that one, easy. Aphrodite wins. Give me the sexy lady now. And apparently, that lady is Helen of Sparta! And Aphrodite gives Paris the means to sneak away with her, which is where things get a little hinky because depending on whose version of the myth you're reading, Paris either raped and abducted Helen or she fell in love with him and like willingly ran away with him. And there are a bunch of different and like wildly contradictory versions of this part of the story and Homer seems to kind of like fall somewhere in the middle that like she sort of willingly ran off with him, but like she regrets it and she's not like a very happy player in this story. Uh, and so Helen with her quote, face that launched a thousand ships, not a face that is a thousand ships. It looks like a thousand ships. <laughs> it was pretty craggy. <laughs> Prove me wrong. What does a face that looks like a thousand ships look like? Ugly. <laughs> what if they're really pretty ships? But it's a thousand of them, kind of on one face. I guess that's. I mean, a lot basically, of face. what we, you got to do is you got to take a game of Battleship and just shove it on someone's face. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't sound great. So that starts the Trojan War, or I guess Paris and his dick start the Trojan War, or Zeus not inviting Eris to a party starts the Trojan War. I think I might fucking hate Greek mythology. I think we're all caught up at this point. So, Menelaus got everybody in Greece, including his brother, Agamemnon, commander of the United Greek Armies, to go to Troy and lay siege to the city for ten fucking years, and here we are now, in year ten, and Achilles is full of rage. I guess. We start after the Greeks have sacked a Trojan-allied town, and Agamemnon and Achilles have taken some cute girls as prisoners. Like you do. A Trojan priest of Apollo named Chryses comes to the Greek camp to beg for the return of one of the girls, his daughter, Chrysis. It's spelled one letter different. It has one extra letter in it, and it just means daughter of Chryses. It's so, I hate it. Anyway, he offers to pay a huge ransom, and the other Greeks are like, yeah, okay, sure. But Agamemnon's like, no, I took her. She's mine. Suck it. And Chrysis Center Hotline is like, you'll be sorry. Because being a priest back in Greek mythology times meant you could literally call up your god of choice and be like, hey, go fuck that guy up. And he asks Apollo to do just that. And Apollo obliges, causing a deadly plague to rage through the Greek camp for nine days. And on day 10, Achilles is like, well, it's been a solid week and change of constant death and disease. We should probably figure out why everybody's suddenly dying. And a soothsayer says some sooth and reveals that it's Apollo doing a vengeance for Chrysler Jeep Grand Cherokee. And Agamemnon should probs give the guy his daughter back. He does not do this. The general of the entire army instead throws a little bitch tantrum and says it's not fair. And Achilles is like, yeah, well, life isn't fair. And Aggie says he'll only give her back if Achilles gives his pillage girlfriend over to Agamemnon as consolation. And Achilles, 
who's kind of tense after nine years of siege warfare says that that's bullshit, that this whole war is bullshit, that Troy never did anything to him specifically. And so this whole thing is just a big favor that he's doing and has also been like half of his life, probably. The guy's like, I think like 20 or 21, I think. He murdered a boar at age six. There's implications he went to the war at age 11. It's weird. This happens. But yeah, so Achilles starts feeling that rage, which, I don't know, feels at least a little warranted. It contemplates just stabbing Agamemnon right then and there, and then suddenly Athena appears. Although just to Achilles and is like, I bring a message from Hera. She says, please dial it back. And so Achilles does not stab him, but just says mean things to him instead. And then this old guy Nestor stands up and is like, back in my day, kings weren't such little bitches, but also we respected them. Achilles quit being mean to Agamemnon, and Agamemnon, leave Achilles alone. You look like a punk. Achilles uh, gives up his pillage girlfriend to Aggie, but also he gives like the whole assembled group of Greeks this big speech where he's like, I am like done with all your shit, and you'll be sorry you pissed me off when Hector, great warrior of the Trojans, is slicing you to pieces, and you'll be like, oh no, where's Achilles? I wish Achilles was here to save us so I didn't have to poop my pants and die. And then he runs away back to his ship, and he cries like a baby. You shouldn't make fun of someone for showing emotion. No, I mean, no, he does. He cries. Kind okay. of like to his mom, like yeah. a baby does. A baby just kind of cried to no one. They just cry out to the open. I guess. You could tell you're very maternal. So Aggie does uh, give back Crises Part 2, the sequel, and the plague on their camp is lifted, but the true damage has yet to be done. After his big scene, Achilles, as I said, goes crying to his mom, Thetis, the ocean spirit, goddess thing. And he tells her to tell Zeus to punish the Greeks by helping the Trojans so that they'll appreciate Achilles more and come crawling back to him when things get bad. And Thetis is like, you understand the many, many ways that this can come back and bite you in the ass, right? And he's like, but mom... And then I guess he like bats his eyelashes at her. Yeah, just like that. And so she agrees to talk to Zeus about it. And she does. And Zeus agrees to help the Trojans, despite his wife, Hera. Hera favors the Greeks over the Trojans because Paris, prince of the Trojans, if you'll remember, didn't pick her to win the hottest goddess award. And if there's one thing we all know about Greek mythology, it's that Zeus fucking hates his wife. So Zeus decides to shake things up by sending Agamemnon a dream vision that Hera has brought all the gods on their side, and if he does a full assault on the city tomorrow, he'll take it and win the war. And Aggie wakes up, pumped the fuck up, to go do war murder. He tells his generals about the dream, but says before they attempt such an audacious attack, they should go first test their soldiers' loyalty by saying that they can go home. I'm not sure what he thought was going to happen. We just told a bunch of guys who've been fighting for ten fucking years, Yeah, screw it, let's go home. But, like, they're psyched as hell, and they just start running towards the ships. <laughs> and Hera sees this happening and is like, no, 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 what the fuck? And she makes Athena go back down there again, this time to her favorite warrior, you know him, you love him. You'll eventually hear the story of him fucking his way across the ancient world. Al Pacino. <laughs> yep. Yes. She goes, she's like, Al Pacino, you gotta... And he's like... <laughs> yeah, well, he reminds Why? Me. We're going to Troy! I can't do I can't do an Al Pacino impression. Well, because you're telling me the speech. It reminds me of the Al Pacino speech that he gives in any given Sunday. Oh, you gotta do that, though. I can't but, do but he, But he could change it, that... Men, we're going to go out there and we're going to fight inch by inch. We're going to claw their eyes out. <laughs> or we're all millionaires. We just hop in our cars and go home and just, you know, take the L. <laughs> Whatever you guys want to do, I guess. 
she goes to Odysseus, but I kind of like if we, if we just want to for the remainder of this episode, uh, Odysseus will just be played by Al Pacino in, in the theater of your mind. What a marketer. Trojans from 7 to 17 line it up for my Dunkachino. Uh, so yeah, Odysseus, she makes him bully the other soldiers into not deserting. He gives a stirring speech about a snake eating some birds. I don't know. They all agree to stay, although there's a lot of bitching. Everyone starts getting ready for the battle. And Aggie prays to Zeus for success, and Homer winks at the audience and is like, but we all know that's not gonna happen. <laughs> and uh, then he says, hmm, this story might be getting a little too spicy. Let's slow things down and instead catalog the entire army by city and region. Doesn't that sound nice? And he does. Oh my god, does he ever. Now, at the time, this would have been exciting for the audience. Like, getting to hear your city in this awesome, epic war myth. Like, hell yeah, it's like you were there. You're like, damn right, if if, if Thiklos was there. Like, woohoo, if Thiklos rules, you know? It's like, yeah, Iowa City went to the Trojan War. Damn right. Iowa City. I don't know, I picked it. Ames, baby. (laughs) Sure. I stand for Ames. Okay. Cyclones. Miami. Woo. Which one? Whoa, 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 which one? Any Miami. Pick a Miami. Oh, well, Florida's it. good. Miami, Ohio. I mean, it's Ohio. Just pick a goddamn Miami. The point is. Miami. At the time. You gotta say it right there. It, it was exciting. But reading it now is just boring and bad and sucks. The important thing to take away from it is that Achilles' group, the Myrmidons, which is really fun to say, Myrmidons. Give it a try. It's good. Myrmidons. They are not gearing up to fight. They're just kind of chilling. While this is happening, Zeus sends a warning to Troy that the Greeks are coming, and King Priam and Hector start assembling the Trojan army, which, yes, Homer also catalogs. So in a way... Man loved himself some lists. He tried to send the Trojans a prophylactic warning. Sure. A prophylaxis. Yeah, I'll let you have that one. The two armies have formed up and are ready to rumble, and then suddenly out from the ranks bursts Paris. And he's like, yo, you guys suck. I can take any one of you fuckos down in a one-on-one fight. And Menelaus, you may remember him as the guy who Paris stole Helen from, just appears in a chariot like, oh? And Paris is like, except you! And he promptly runs away like a weenie boy. Because he is a weenie boy. And his brother, who is none other than Hector, greatest warrior of all the Trojans that we keep hearing about, is like, oh my god, you weenie boy. This whole war is literally because you were too damn horny. Like, the least you can do is be an adult about it. And he shames Paris into agreeing to do a duel with Menelaus for Helen. Winner gets the girl and ends the war. Which you think they could have done earlier. Uh, Both armies agree to this because they have no skin in this game. So Helen is told of the fight and goes to watch. She's curious to see her husband after all this time. She's out on the ramparts with King Priam and some other high-ranking dudes. The high-ranking dudes are extremely over having Helen around. They're remarking that, like, sure, she's hot, but she's not ten years of war hot. And they really wish the powers that be had just given her the fuck back. Alright, so, pause. Paused. Who is ten years war hot? Ten years war hot or not? Ten years war hot. I mean, that's... Is anyone really 10 years of war hot? Like, if you really had to game it out. Gal Gadot. 10 years. 10? 10 years. But we we both just took our glasses off if you want a visual of that. Like, can you just picture 10 years of your life gone for Gal Gadot? I'm still pining for a crush from 10 years ago, actually. Coming back to theaters once theaters open up. Yeah. Ramona Flowers. 
God, Mary Elizabeth Winston is so hot. I would have taken her then. I'd take her now. She aged well. Like a fine woman. Oh, yeah, no, she looked amazing in Birds of Prey. But would you go to war for 10 years for her? Depends how hot this war is. <laughs> yeah, like if it's the Cold War, who gives a fuck? Because I mean, like, Kira Knightley also. I mean, like, I remember. Yeah. Oh, come on. I'm more of a Natalie guy myself. I know, yes. You're, you're a Natalie Portman man. Which, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that either. And we're only talking about women now. I mean, we, we can talk about, are there any men who we consider 10 years of war hot? If he wasn't a fake Jew, I'd be into that Zachary Levi, but it broke did, my heart. He did break your heart. We got really into the marvelous uh, Mrs. Maisel. Fake Jew. Devastated that Zachary Le- Levi, Levy. Yeah, whatever. That he's not really Jewish. Fake, fake Broke Jew. RJ's heart. Still very cute. Fake Jew. Very tall. Yeah. Any of the Hemsworths? Chris Hemsworth's pretty hot. I don't know. Ten years of war hot. Yeah, I was reminded. What about I, your what about your gay what about your gay boy? The the one who can sing and, and also punch. What? Beauty and the Beast. Oh. I don't remember his name. He was Dracula. What the fuck was his name? Was he ten years of war hot? He's pretty close. He's pretty glad he's pretty close. I was gonna say I, I was reminded because uh, people were discussing the movie. One of those genre movies, like not another teen movie. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's Chris Chris Evans in it, where he puts a banana between his butt cheeks. <laughs> I remember the scene. I didn't know Chris Evans then, and I definitely didn't remember that as Chris Evans. That is Chris Evans. It's a banana split. Luke Evans. Luke Evans. I think Luke Evans is ten years of war hot. But how about Owen Wilson? <laughs> <laughs> wow! Would you go to war why, for me? Why, wow! Why? Oh my God. I'm the, I'm the face that launched a thousand ships. <laughs> Where'd all these ships come from? Are they? Are you saying these ships are for me? Wow. How do they float, though? Where are they all coming from? You would think the water would get tired from holding all them up. There's so many ships. A thousand. Wow. Did you count them? Or you go with Matthew McConaughey. Mm, ships. Ships. What is a ship, though? Buy a Buick. <laughs> I don't remember what the fucking. I love looking out into the water. Nothing for miles. But then, ship, ship, ship. A thousand ships. Paris asked me if I'd run off to Troy, and I said, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> I don't think either of us do a good Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> um. Fuck, where are we? <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. The guys, they're saying Helen's not 10 years of war high. No. They wish she wasn't there anymore. So she's hanging out there on the ramparts. Uh, King Priam, Hector and Paris' dad, he, he points out some various strapping young Greeks. And he's like, hey, who are these guys? He asked her to identify them. And she points out Odysseus, Agamemnon, you know, some other guys, uh, Di- Diomedes. Diomedes, I think. And Big Ajax and Little Ajax. I guess Ajax is like the Greek Chris or something. So that's, they, they gotta keep track, you know, somehow. Priam leaves because he can't stand to watch in case Paris dies, which seems to be the likeliest outcome because he's a weenie boy. And that does seem to be the way of it as they fight and Menelaus quickly gets the upper hand and is about to spear Paris to death when Aphrodite, who likes Paris very much because he thinks she's the prettiest goddess, swoops in out of nowhere like, not my weenie boy, and 
teleports him out of the battlefield and into his bedroom, safe and sound. Aphrodite then goes to Helen, disguised as an old woman, like, go home to your true husband, Paris. But Helen sees through the disguise. Now, do you know why Helen sees through Aphrodite's old woman disguise? No idea. <laughs> I'm gonna give you one hint. There's something that Aphrodite leaves undisguised. Her, her face. No, her tits. Yeah, that's what my next kiss. <laughs> they're gonna be nice and firm. Yes. That, that's literally it. She, she can't bear to old womanify her, her nice tits. And Helen was like, um, well, that sticks out. Helen's mad at Aphrodite for interfering because she's just really over this whole fucking war and running away to Troy in the first place. And Aphrodite's like, well, my boy Paris wants, my boy Paris fucking gets. Go home and fuck him or I will end you. And Helen complies. But she does call Paris a cowardly shit. Meanwhile, Menelaus and the Greeks are rightly pissed off and they want to know where the fuck Paris went because he just disappeared right when Menelaus was about to kill him. Menelaus, Menelaus. Menelaus, Menelaus. Do, 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 do. Oh, Menelaus. Menelaus. <laughs> <laughs> um, fuck. <laughs> they want to know where he went. And the Trojans are like, dude, we don't fucking know. We're mad at him too. Also, we don't want to be at war anymore. This is bullshit. And everyone agrees that clearly Menelaus had won anyway. Meanwhile, Olympus, Zeus is like, so should we let them resolve Olympus this? Biscuit? Yes, Olympus Biscuit. <laughs> Mount Olympiscuit. On Mount Olympiscuit, Zeus is like, should we let them resolve this peacefully? Or... And Hera's like, I want blood, damn it. And Zeus he is... did it all for the nookie. <laughs> Zeus is like, I think you've blown this hating the Trojans thing out of proportion. Come on. Hera's just in the background screeching blood. Like that. The nookie. Name another Limp Biscuit song and I will pay you a dollar. All Star. <laughs> nope. I mean, Hot Dog Water. That's not a song. That's Chocolate the name Starfish. Of the, that's the name of the album. Well, usually uh, the name of the album is one of the tracks. I don't think so. Yeah. And Zeus shrugs because honestly, if he can't have uh, sex with it it's really hard for him to maintain interest and it's like athena you deal with this so athena goes down to the battlefield disguises herself as a trojan soldier and starts a chain reaction of egging on an archer that gets everyone riled up and before you know it the armies are marching on each other again like nothing ever happened with various gods on either side protecting their rooting interests and there's just lots of stabbing and bleeding and killing and every time someone dies, Homer gives them a short little backstory about where they came from and what they did when they weren't in a war so that we feel bad for them, but we really don't have that kind of time. One guy who's really making a name for himself on the battlefield is the Greek warrior. The Di Greek freak, Giannis Antetokounmpo. <laughs> yep, that's it. You, yep, that guy. That basketball player? Yeah. Yeah, he's he's doing it. He's murdering a bunch of other <laughs> Trojans. He's one of the youngest ones there, but he's he's killing up a storm. And Athena is into this, and she grants him superhuman strength, and also the ability to tell gods from mortals on the battlefield, and that if he sees a god, to run the fuck away. Unless it's Aphrodite, in which case, go for it. Because Athena was also a runner-up in the hottest Greek goddess of the year, and is not above being a petty bitch. And, uh, what was that man's name again? Giannis Antetokounmpo. Yeah, so he does game- The Greek freak, man. He does and he death. can dunk on King James. I'm not sure exactly what <laughs> nation King James comes from. Quiva land. <laughs> Dunks on his ass. Well, he does uh, gangbusters with his new powers, and he almost murders this one dude, Aeneas, uh, except he doesn't, because, spoiler alert, Aeneas will go on to star in the Aeneid. He gets mentioned in this a lot, but I, I don't care. Uh, his mom is Aphrodite, so, of course, she comes to save him. And the, the Greek freak is all, like, stabby, stabby, and, well, stabs her. And she's like, what the fuck? And is so surprised, she doesn't even fight back. 
she just leaves. She just goes back to Olympus and is like, can you believe this shit? Like, can you imagine you're on the battlefield and you just see a god and you're just like, God, you just fucking, you just stab them. Yeah. The balls. balls. (laughs) Like this guy just ran up and stabbed God. And the other gods think it's really funny. Like they, they just point and laugh at her. Things shift back and forth with the Trojans gaining the upper hand for a while as Hector and Ares, the god of war, fight side by side. The Greeks gaining uh, ground as Odysseus and Diomedes get more help from Athena and Hera. And Athena gives him permission to fight more gods, so he stabs Ares and Ares. So he's just stabbing gods left and right. Ares goes home crying, and the gods take a break from things, and the Greeks are looking like they might win it. Hector leaves the battle on the advice of a soothsayer to tell his mom and the queen to gather the noblewomen to pray to Athena for mercy. Along the way, he sees Paris, who has withdrawn from the battle because he is too sad to keep fighting and Hector's like Jesus Christ how are we even related get the fuck back out there you little wiener then he goes to see his wife Andromache I forgot how you pronounced her name and she says I have the strangest feeling like you're gonna die terribly and Hector's like that's just the foreshadowing try to ignore it Hector and Paris rejoin the battle and things are looking up for the Trojans and Athena's like, no, no, we can't have that. But it's stopped by Apollo, who's like, hey, I'm helping the Trojans now. I might not be later. I don't know. Who can keep track? They agree to stop the fighting for the day by instigating another one-on-one duel to cap things off. Hector agrees to fight whoever the Greeks send out, and Big Ajax wins the fight lotto. They tussle for a bit, but before either one gets seriously hurt, Zeus sends out a herald to stop the fight and be like, hey, it's night now, so no more murder today. Go get some rest, and we'll have plenty more murder tomorrow. So they do. The Georgians have a meeting about how they really technically should give Helen back after the morning's duel, but Paris continues to be a little wiener and refuses. Meanwhile, Zeus and Poseidon watch each army bury and or burn their dead and build new fortifications while thinking, how can I continue to cause problems? It starts with Zeus banning the other gods from interfering with the fighting anymore because it's just not fair. But obviously, these rules don't apply to Zeus, because fuck you, he's the boss. And when the fighting starts back up for the day, he rains down lightning on the Greeks. Hera and Athena get very upset seeing their precious Greek babies getting their asses kicked and get ready to intervene, and Zeus is like, what did I just say? And Hera's like, I put a lot of effort into helping them, and you're fucking it all up. And he's like, yeah, and I'm gonna keep doing it until Achilles is the last thing that can save them, because, well, I don't exactly remember why, because, but there was definitely a reason. (laughs) Zeus has a hard time staying focused. And then lucky for the Greeks, night falls before the Trojans have the chance to achieve total victory. And that night, we find that Achilles' wishes have finally come to pass, as everyone in the Greek camp is running around in circles screaming, we're doomed, we're absolutely boned as hell, we're gonna poop our pants and die. Unless... Unless... Unless we get Achilles to save us. And they go to Achilles' ship, where he's chilling out and playing a liar with his best friend and or gay lover. It's, you know, historically, it's complicated. People aren't sure. Patroclus. Al Pacino. No, that was Odysseus. We decided Odysseus was Al Pacino. How many people are going to be Al Pacino? (laughs) All right, so then this one, Robert De Niro. Okay. Can you do a credible Robert De Niro? Because I don't think I can. Hey, Meg. No. Can you milk a rat? Because it got nipples. No, that was bad. That was really bad. I think you should pick... Any other actor. Macho man. Oh, Ooh, brother. Hey, brother. Hey, brother. Well, would that be Achilles? Oh, brother. Hey, Patroclus. 
Maybe. All right, let's wrap this up. Okay, well, you're the one who you're the one who did this. So they run to get Achilles. He's hanging out with Patroclus. He uh, has not been fighting, but you know he's been hanging out. He's been playing music. He's been doing bro stuff. Everyone begs. They wail. They apologize. Even Agamemnon is like, "I was a fool to ever insult you. Achilles, a stupid, stupid fool." And if you fight for us, I'll give you money and seven cities. And you can marry one of my daughters. And you can have your pillage girlfriend back. And you get to kill Hector. It's everything that Achilles wanted to hear. And do you know what he says? What you say? Fuck no. Also, me and my boyfriend were planning on sailing home tomorrow anyway. So, oh well, too bad, so sad, etc. This is followed by a disjointed section where Odysseus and Diomedes do some cool sneaky murder midnight spy shit. And it's been pointed out that it feels a little tonally off the way it immediately follows everyone despairing that Achilles is refusing to fight. So some scholars argue this is the section I was talking about that was actually added in by, uh, later by writers made to make Odysseus seem more cool and relevant to characters since, you know, he gets his own sequel all to himself. So that's a thing. Anyway, Zeus kicks off another day of battle by making it rain blood on the Greeks, which is rather demoralizing. But Agamemnon isn't having it. He's on the warpath today. He's got the fucking fighting spirit. He's in a frenzy to the point where Zeus sends Hector a message that's basically like, hey, y'all ought to just fight defensively today until Aggie gets wounded or something because holy shit, that dude is not having it. So Hector follows Zeus's advice until Agamemnon is finally stabbed enough that he has to bow out and the fight evens up a little. Then Paris shoots Diomedes in the foot with an arrow. Diomedes is like, camping is for dickheads and punks. Like, come melee, fight like a real man. But Paris doesn't do that. And then Diomedes has to bow out of the fight. And then Paris also shoots the Greek's main healer, Machaon. Machaon. Names are hard. He shoots him in the shoulder, uh, which is definitely a problem for the Greeks. Nestor grabs Machaon, that guy, to get him off the battlefield. And Achilles, who's been watching this all from the safety of his boat, is like, oh shit, did Machaon get wounded? Patroclus, or I guess he'd be like, Hey, brother, Patroclus, babe, why don't you go check that out? And Patroclus does. And Nestor tells him that it's a real shit show out there. And it'd be really great if he could convince Achilles to come help him out. And he says, you know, you're supposed to be his greatest advisor and or closest friend and or lover? Scholars will debate this for centuries to come, but the main point is that if you can't make your boyfriend fight, you can remember how excited you were about coming to fight the big cool war and wear his armor and lead the Myrmidons in his place. And Patroclus is like, hmm, actually, that would be pretty dope. I have done jack all for the past ten years, and leading an army while dressed like the hottest man I know who everyone else is terrified of sounds like it would fucking rule. Meanwhile, the Trojans have breached the Greek fortifications and they're streaming in and it's looking pretty bleak. So Zeus feels like things are finally starting to wrap up and is like, alright, I'm outie. No more divine meddling for realsies this time. Except... Except. Except, of course, as soon as he leaves, Poseidon is like, well, I didn't get to do anything fun in this story yet. And he goes to Big Ajax and Little Ajax, and he gives them a tactical advantage before running rampant through the Greek army, arousing their spirits and giving them, you know, the, the gumption that they need to keep fighting back. Why he does this is anyone's guess. A few sections ago, he was bitching about how they were, like, building forts without leaving offerings for him, and now he's helping them out. I don't know. The gods just do shit. Uh, Hera's fucking thrilled, though, and she makes sure Poseidon keeps doing it, inciting even the wounded Agamemnon, Odysseus, and Diomedes to keep leading the charge while she distracts Zeus with a very convoluted plan that involves a lot of lying and uh, different gods and goddesses and stuff, but amounts to using a love potion to fuck him and then knock him out. Hell! <laughs> 
Can't all be brutal warfare. Gotta have some wacky fucking in there. Gotta keep things from getting too heavy. Except... Except... Except that this lasts for about 10 seconds. Big Ajax throws a big rock at Hector, knocks him out. The Greeks run the Trojans out of their camp. Zeus wakes up like that. It was like, I was gone for 10 fucking seconds. Hera plays dumb about Poseidon's involvement. Zeus gathers up all the gods and is like, okay, dingbats, for the last time, here's how it's gonna go. No one's gonna fuck it up. I don't care how it looks, here's how it's gonna play out. Basically, everyone will get what they want, even fucking Hera. The Trojans are gonna keep pressing the Greeks until Patroclus joins the fight. Patroclus is going to kill some guys, get a taste for it, then Hector's gonna kill Patroclus, and then Achilles is gonna kill Hector, and then Troy's gonna fall, and then that'll be the end of it, and then we'll have to find a new game. Now you might ask, what's the point of having Zeus summarize what's left of the story? Doesn't knowing exactly what's gonna happen and how it's gonna go down suck all the tension and interest out of everything? No. I feel like it kinda does. <laughs> I don't know, I feel like it takes the fun out of it. I suppose you can't account for changes in storytelling structure over the course of the last, I don't know, like 3,000 years, but then again, you've got people like RJ, who like looking up the endings to movies on Wikipedia before they go see them, so I guess this is still a thing. I need to know. Either way, the gods are like, fine, dad, whatever. And on the battlefield, Hector wakes back up, heads the charge back across Greek lines, driving them back towards the ships, while Patroclus runs back to Achilles, telling him that he's a big jerk and people are dying, and if he won't lead his men, then will he at least give Patroclus permission to? And Achilles is like, yeah, okay, fine, but only because you're cute. And also, just drive them off the ships. If you try to fight, you're just going to trip over your own feet and make me look stupid. Love you, though. And Patroclus does the thing, and it goes very well. Because the Myrmidons are all fresh and have been waiting to fight for ages, and also the Trojans are fucking terrified because they think they're going up against Achilles. And as Zeus predicted, Patroclus is doing pretty good, and he's getting super into it. He's chopping down dudes left and right, and this war shit isn't so hard, it's even kinda fun! Patroclus is way far away from the ships now, he's in fact driving the Trojans back towards the city gates. He's kicking ass! Then. Hector bursts from the walls of the city in a chariot until Patroclus kills his chariot driver. <laughs> and the gods are like, okay, this is getting a little worrisome. We didn't know this guy was going to be a fucking murder prodigy. We need to make sure he dies on schedule. So Apollo flies down, knocks Patroclus to the ground, takes off his helmet, breaks his spear, shatters his shield, yanks off his armor, and probably also kicks him in the dick for good measure. Like, Jesus. Sounds like we need to take down the Rocky statue and put one up of Apollo Creed instead. Wait, why? I thought you were going to say of, like, Patroclus. Because Apollo did good work here. No. Bad. <laughs> Bad RJ. <laughs> so, yeah, Apollo does all that shit to <laughs> yeah, Patroclus. Then he gets speared in the back by some uh, random dude named, like, Gerphobos or something by Mr. T. And then finally stabbed in the gut by Hector, who's like, Haha, I've killed you! And Patroclus is like, Psh, The first two guys did the heavy lifting. Also, my boyfriend's gonna tear your spine out through your butthole. And then he dies. R.I.P. Patroclus. You got too OP, and the gods had to nerf you. Hector takes Achilles' armor off Patroclus and is like, mine now, bitch. And Zeus just looks down like, oof, you are gonna die so hard soon. And he gives him super strength so that he can at least have some fun before Achilles turbo murders him. Meanwhile, there's a huge fight over Patroclus' body as the Trojans try to make off with it and the Greeks try to defend it. And while this is happening, Menelaus sends a messenger to get word to Achilles that Patroclus is dead. And upon receiving this message, Achilles screams so loud his mom hears him all the way at the bottom of the ocean and is just like, 
like, oh no. And she rises up out of the water, sees Achilles has covered himself with dirt and ash and is like, this is literally what you asked me to do. And I warned you that something Grecian and tragic would probably happen. And Achilles is just like, now that Patroclus is dead, nothing matters anymore but murdering Hector. And she tells him that if he does this, he'll also die shortly after. And he's just like, then I'll die. And I know that this myth is meant to be about like the rage of Achilles and we're, we're going to get to that and all, but we should definitely appreciate like the hashtag drama of Achilles as well. His mom says he could do all the murder he wants if he just waits till tomorrow so she could at least get him some armor from the gods. He agrees and wails some more. Meanwhile, the Greeks successfully bring Patroclus' body and Achilles cradles it and continues wailing in what we must assume is a purely platonic, friendly, non-romantic manner. No homo. He tells Agamemnon that he's ready to fight. Nagy is sad for his loss, but stoked for some fighting and is like, I'm still good for all those gifts and stuff I offered you. And Achilles, still presumably clutching at Patroclus' corpse, is like, I absolutely do not care. His mom gives him his special god armor and he saddles up to go kill a million Trojans. In fact, he's so ready for murder that Zeus gets the gods together and is like, okay, remember that thing I said before about how we were going to let things take their course? I think if we let Achilles do whatever, Troy's going to get sacked in like 10 seconds. So you chuckle fucks have free reign to do whatever dumb bullshit you want again because God rules change every five fucking minutes. Just don't overdo it because when at any point in the story has that ever been an issue? So even though Achilles cut a swath, a Trojan corpse is straight for Hector, and Hector's like, bring it on, bitch. Apollo and Athena keep protecting the two of them, and they can't have a proper fight, so they abandon trying to kill each other for now and just kill a bunch of other people. In fact, Achilles is so swept up in bloodlust that he's happy just pinning down a bunch of Trojans at the Scamandros River and slicing them to ribbons. He gets so stab-happy that the, li the river literally runs red with blood. One guy's like, please have mercy, and he's like, no but it's cool, I'll also be dead soon, and then kills him. <laughs> Eventually, the spirit of the Scamandros River is like, hey, stop it, this is disgusting, there's corpses everywhere. <laughs> if you kill another dude in me, I fucking swear. And Achilles just casually stabs another three dudes in the river, because he doesn't give a fuck. <laughs> bodies on bodies on bodies. He's in a blood rage. In fact, he gets so mad, he fights the river. In fact, he doesn't just fight the river, he kicks the river's ass so hard that Scamandros has to call another river to come over and help him fight Achilles. He has to get a second river because Achilles fights the first river so hard. And then Hera has to go get Hephaestus, the god of fire, to set the two rivers on fire. It's like an Adele song. This is the only good part of this fucking myth. The rest of it sucks. This is the only good part of the Iliad. Meanwhile, all the other gods have turned on each other. They're all beating the shit out of each other. Apollo's like the only one still actively trying to help the Trojans out. He distracts Achilles long enough so that the Trojans escape back inside the safety of the city walls. Except for Hector, who refuses to retreat and stays outside to fight Achilles. His father and his wife yell for him to just run. He's like, I can't. I won't. I have to fight. And then I guess he actually, like, sees Achilles, presumably now covered head to toe in blood, and also fresh off fighting two different rivers, probably still crying and screaming Patroclus' name, and is like, mm, actually, fuck this, and runs away. He runs a full circuit around Troy three times before Achilles finally catches up with him, and, like, there's some dancing around, and Hector says, hey... If he dies, at least can he be properly buried and not left to the dogs? And Achilles is like, I will personally teabag your corpse, and then kills him. R.I.P. Hector, it sucks that you were murdered, but at least you weren't a weenie boy like your brother. And then, 
While Achilles does not necessarily teabag Hector's dead body, he does poke holes in his tendons and run ropes through them so he can drag him back to the ships. Because if we haven't already made this clear, Achilles has problems. Don't we all? <laughs> yeah! Yeah! <laughs> That's what you got to say! Don't we all? Don't we all? Who can judge? Who hasn't run rope through the length of a man's tendons to drag him across a battlefield, I ask you? The people of Troy, particularly Hector's parents watching from the city walls, are understandably upset watching their great hero get dragged across the battlefield like one of those rolly luggage bags. After the fight, Achilles refuses to both take off his armor or even wash off all the blood he's presumably coated in and just, you know, makes that everyone else's problem. That night, the ghost of Patroclus appears to Achilles in a dream and requests his body to be burned in a pyre and his ashes kept in an urn and says that when Achilles dies, he needs to put his ashes in the same urn so they can be together forever. You know, like friends do. Achilles agrees, wakes up, and orders that the thing be done, but not before cutting off a lock of his hair and placing it in Patroclus's hand. You know, like friends do. But he's still not done yet. Achilles then declares that they will honor Patroclus by playing funeral games, which, dude, we just did a war. A whole fuck ton bunch of guys died. I know he was your special boyfriend, but also maybe now isn't the best time. Oh well, too bad. We get a whole section dedicated to funeral games. They're like sports, you know, boxing and archery and shit, just really putting the whole fun in funeral, and Homer really gets into who wins what and who bitches about who wins what, but this is the next to last section, and I just don't fucking care anymore. <laughs> funeral games! So we're moving on to the final section, where after much post-war fun was had by all, Achilles refuses to stop carrying Hector's corpse around like a creepy little kid with a dead frog or something. He even ties it to a chariot and races it around Patroclus' funeral pyre, which is really fucked up. But Apollo and Aphrodite prevent Hector's body from being damaged because they all think Achilles is being a major dick. In fact, all the gods kind of think Achilles is going a little too far with this. And after a lot of inter-arguing, Zeus sends a messenger down to accompany Hector's dad, King Priam, to the Greek camp to beg Achilles for his son's body. He reminds Achilles of his own father, and I guess also constantly dragging a dead body around has lost its novelty, because he reluctantly agrees to give Hector back. Although he says if Priam cries or freaks out when he sees the body, Achilles will just go apeshit. Because he's a freak like that. Priam does not freak out, uh, but instead takes Hector's body, returns to the city, where everyone wails a lot, Helen tells Paris, not incorrectly, that this is all his fault, and they burn and then bury Hector's body. The end! No, seriously, that's it. That's how the Iliad ends. Or as the Greeks would say, Mamma Mia. Here Mamma Mia, here <laughs> I go again. again. My, 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 how can I resist? See, you want that part out. Right? Yeah, I love the part where uh, Achilles has to like throw a wedding where he invites three people who might be his dad. <laughs> he doesn't really know. Oh, because Zeus. His mom had a really slutty. Yeah, yeah. yeah. When, yeah well, Zeus is not his dad. When Zeus is your dad, anybody could be your fucking mom. That's true. <laughs> or usually the pussy you pop out of it. Oh, yeah, that's true. Well, then. <laughs> usually that narrows it down. Yeah, I, I got it a little bit backwards. <laughs> Look, when gods were involved, literally anyone could be your parents. I think Athena, like, was it Athena or Artemis? Either Athena or Artemis popped fully formed out of Zeus's forehead. So, mm. like, who the fuck even knows? All right. So let's talk a little bit. In, uh, I mean, obviously, it's an ancient myth. 
it has been adapted and, and uh, processed into the culture and things a million billion times in paintings and vases and plays and shit. So it's an old song. And it's an old song. So I just kind of grabbed a bunch of things. And you're just going to have to deal with that. <laughs> okay. I meant our listeners, but I guess you're also just going to have to deal with I that. I suppose so. So Helen appears in various versions of the Faust myth, including Christopher Marlowe's uh, 1604 play, The Tragical History of Dr. Faustus. This is where we get that quote, the context of which is Faust is marveling at a demon who is impersonating Helen that he says, quote, Was this the face that launched a thousand ships and burnt the topless towers of Ilium? Ilium being Troy. What's a topless tower? The tower without a top. Yeah, what the hell does that mean? It's like a sexy nude topless tower. It's a tower that's flat. I guess. Uh, I feel like you'll like this. Isaac Asimov coined the unit millihelen to mean the amount of beauty that can launch one ship. A millihelen. <laughs> I, I thought that was funny. The DC TV show Legends of Tomorrow has an episode called Helen Hunt because they travel all the way through time all the time. And Helen uh, is a time anachronism and she appears in 1930s Hollywood where she lands a job as an actress and unintentionally starts a war between two film studios. And they're like, no, you have to go back to the Bronze Age. And she's like, I don't want to because Troy sucks. And they're like, yeah, fair enough. So they take her to Themyscira. They're like, all right, I guess you can go live with, like, the Amazons in Wonder Woman land. We'll just put you on an island full of women and you won't have to deal with any of these fucking men anymore. So topless towers are kind of just fingers out of the ground. And columns. Columns? Yeah. All right. Speaking of DC Comics, there is a version, I did not know this in DC Comics, of Achilles, where he's, like, a, a male counterpart to Wonder Woman. He's a modern-day resurrected Achilles. In case you're wondering, he is gay. And he forms a relationship with Patrolica's reincarnation, whose name is Patrick Cleese. Uh, William Shakespeare, our, our old buddy, Big Willie, he uses the plot of everything for everything, as we all know, but he used the plot of the Iliad as a source material for his play Troilius and Cressida? Troilius, the son of King Priam of Troy, and Cressida, who I think was supposed to be like their Cassandra. And the play is kind of considered to be a comedy and it reverses like the traditional views of the events of the Trojan War where like Achilles is now a coward and like Ajax is a, a dickhead and like Achilles is seen as gay in this one but like it, that's the problem. He won't fight because he's too busy like hanging out in his tent banging Patroclus. So uh, for books there was a book called The Rage of Achilles by American author and Yale Writers Conference founder Terrence Hawkins, which counts the Iliad as a novel in modern, sometimes graphic language. And it is informed by the theory of the bicameral mind and the historiosity of the Trojan War, which means it depicts its characters as real men. It's you know, supposed to be real and historic. It's the warfare thing. And the gods appear only as like hallucinations or something. And, you know, it's, it's modern consciousness sort of thing so it takes all the fun out of it it takes away all the fun god parts and it's just like what if it was just a real war being fought by real dudes so like if it was real life yeah yeah it sucks i mean i, I haven't read it i don't know if it sucks but that concept sucks tumblr's favorite madeline miller's 2011 debut novel the song of achilles and it's a coming-of-age novel that tells the story of Achilles and Patroclus' life together as children, soldiers, and lovers. And it won the 2012 Women's Prize for Fiction. And people really like it. I have not read it, but people super love it. 
And then, of course, Brad Pitt is Achilles in Troy 2004, which is, like, three goddamn hours long and very heterosexual. They didn't even bother with Patroclus. He's like Achilles' fucking nephew or something. He doesn't even matter. But, of course, it still ends up translating as pretty gay because it's still a bunch of oiled-up dudes not wearing very much swinging swords in the hot, hot sand while Orlando Bloom watches and wears lots of eyeliner. As happens. I think I saw part of it in the night ago. <laughs> Orlando Bloom. You couldn't make it through the whole ten thing. Year hot ten, ten, hot. ten year hottie? I don't uh, know. I don't know. Have a Brad Pitt? No. Uh, whoa. No. Wow. Would you, would you say Brad Pitt's ten year hot? Whoa. whoa. Ten year war hot? All right. Maybe not now, but maybe earlier in his life, Robert Redford. He's a charming motherfucker. Charming motherfucker. Okay, but we, we weren't discussing charm. We were going raw, like, 10-year war hotness. Paul Newman. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Would you, would you say that Robert Redford is 10-year war hot? Personality goes a far away. Well, I didn't know we were doing personality. I thought we were just being purely shallow here. We're not in the shallows now. Thank you, Lady Gaga. Tell me something, girl. <laughs> Tell me something, Troy. How you feel about this 10-year war? I love it. You're the face that launched a thousand ships. Up, 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 up. <laughs> In the shadow. Okay, that's horrible to listen to. And now we get to the part of the show that we always get to, and that is, hey, RJ. Sup, baby. The Iliad. Sup, baby. Good. Bad. Gay? I know, we really didn't talk about just how fucking gay Achilles and Patroclus are, but the answer is, like, it's not even a thing of us being like, you know, ha ha ha, like, scholars have debated long into the night for hundreds of years, and they've gone back and pretty much, you know, they've emerged from their scholar holes and been like, yeah, they were gay, though. But anyway, the Iliad, good or bad? I think the Greek freak got some game. Yeah, I hear the NBA's coming back. In fact, by the time this episode gets posted, it might be for real. Be on the lookout. Milwaukee Bucks, NBA Finals. Don't be shocked. Yeah, that's, what, that's your contribution. I mean, anything. Milwaukee Bucks. It's a story that has stood the test of time. Oh, you just say that any time we do something <laughs> that's really old. That's a cop-out. <laughs> <laughs> cop-out intro. I guess. It's a story that is 10-year war hot. It's like, it's like a, <laughs> do the math in my head here, almost 3,000 year war hot, I guess. I guess. You got to call out all the little towns, right? From Termopylae to... Miami. Miami <laughs> to New York to uh, Odessa and all the rest. Abba, Greece, baby. Greased lightning. Hey, Megan. You're... The Iliad. How to think about it. <laughs> what were we doing again? Hot or not. not. Swipe right? Oh, Megan with the swipe left. I am swiping left on the Iliad. That's the worst sentence I'm going to say today. Um, <laughs> there are a lot of important themes at work here. Fate, destiny, pride, the concepts of love and glory in the midst of warfare, etc. 
And it's just so boring. It's so boring. Like, the gods busting in and fucking around because they're gods, and that's pretty much their whole deal. It's, it's, that's that's kind of fun, because they're petty and ridiculous, but the line by line, this guy stabbed that guy who stabbed this guy who paused mid-battle to tell some other guy his entire fucking family lineage before being stabbed himself. Like, I cut all that, because it is just so fucking boring. And when, when people do, like, fun, truncated, like, comics of it, like Kate Beaton, who makes the best historical comics ever, then that's great. And I can 100% get behind it. But unless you're specifically a classics major, I just don't know why you would ever subject yourself to the Iliad on purpose. Reading it feels like fucking laying siege to a city for 10 goddamn years. It's not 10-year war hot. It's 10-year war miserable. I didn't like it. It's no. I don't want it. That'll about do it for this episode of Ono oh Lit Class. We will be back. I mean, we're presumably we will be back. We'll always be back to do things. We'll be back. <laughs> but specifically, how come he wasn't worked in? I mean, there's the next episode where we're going to talk about the Odyssey. So you know, maybe you'll have your chance then. If you like the show, if you enjoy hearing the horrible things that come out of our mouths, then like, subscribe, uh, tell your family. Tell your friends, lay siege to a city, and tell tell them, hey, listen to Ono Lit Class. I don't know why you would have to lay siege to a city to do that, but you know, sometimes it's nice to just go the extra mile. You know, we appreciate it. Pledge to our Patreon at patreon.com slash Ono Lit Class, and then you too can vote on making us do things like this that make me edge a little bit more towards just true deep madness speaking of which we will be back on june 11th for the second half with the odyssey until then i'm megan i'm rj and remember grease is the word it's got groove it's got meaning it's got fucking by gods in it we love you bye If we die and disappear, these statues are made. We're all dust. Future (laughs) generations will wonder. Why only one robotic cop? (laughs) What was special about this robot cop? And wasn't this guy kind of small to be a heavyweight boxer?